This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's WebRadio.com. Fall is here. Beautiful temperatures, beautiful weather. David, I actually participated in uh, my wife uh, works over at BB&T, and um, they had a uh, the annual AIDS walk on uh, Sunday. And it's funny, AIDS has kind of fallen off of the uh, peripheral a little bit because they basically can cure it for the most part. But it's actually turned into a, an African-American uh, kind of – it's ravaged the African-American community. In fact, most – like 80 percent of the new cases are in the black community. And so it's kind of changed for, uh, focus from being uh, you know, on, the, on, on the homosexual population to now the black population. And so participating in things like this – it actually does help, and it makes me feel better to help with the community. I know. You see, you're you looking at me like I'm a, a far-left liberal now. But anyway, it was a great day, 65 degrees. I walked more than three miles. I felt like I could do it again. But instead, we went and grabbed margaritas at a local cantina. So you could see where my heart was. Where it should Exactly, with the alcohol. But anyway, we got a great show Today, Trey Kelly, representative from uh, Cedartown area in Georgia, is going to be calling in at about 2.15. And uh, our friend Joe Ash Thomas, who has been on assignment in South Asia, helping to fight uh, bonded labor, which I think is a fancy term for slavery. But uh, anyway, it's called bonded labor, and they spelled labor uh, as the British do, L-A-B-O-U-R. And he's uh, been on a mission over there to, to help combat that. I just want to hear what India's like. Uh, a lot of Americans have seen Slumdog Millionaire, that movie. You ever seen it? No? Okay. Well, it, it doesn't have a real good depiction of India. And the other side of it is you see the, the, all, all the pro-tourism where you go to the Taj Mahal and uh, Bollywood and, and, and that side of things. But Joe Ash has actually been in the real part of the country and can certainly talk about some of the uh, the sights that he's seen over there if he was indeed in that part of South Asia. But uh, uh, we're looking forward to, to that. Uh, Joe Biden, let's get back to domestic issues. Joe Biden looks like he is all in. And that is nothing but good news for Republicans because he'll have to go negative. Can you imagine him doing like a Trump impression when talking about Hillary? He'll say, hey, I like candidates who didn't have state secrets hacked by foreign terrorists. He can do exactly what Trump is doing, except from that side of things. So you've got Bernie. So you've got, you've, you've got a, a crazy old man. You've got a tainted shrew in Hillary. Yeah, I did. Li- I like that, right? She's a, she's a shrew, and she's tainted a little bit with all these investigations, myriad investigations from the FBI. Uh, she's set to testify on Thursday. And word on the street, and then Biden could be announcing at any time right now. I'm not plugged into the Biden News Network or BNN, but literally news could be breaking of him jumping in right now. And that's nothing but good news for the Republican Party. Biden is actually doing the best head-to-head in most of the matchups against Republicans. Hillary's losing in many of the battleground states. And, of course, she's going to lose the, uh, the, the Republican-led states uh, in the South, particularly in Texas. So they've got a little bit of a, a mountain to climb on that side of things. They debate 
she, by all accounts, did well. Um, in my opinion, the debate was, uh, I live-tweeted it. I enjoyed it. I actually had a bet with a couple of other folks, Michael Graham from 106.7 and Todd Ream from GeorgiaPundit.com, that if I got retweeted by Donald Trump, they would buy me lunch at Fogo de Chao. Now, they never set a statute of limitations on this retweet. So I am eagerly looking to see if I get retweeted. Otherwise, I have to pony up the lunch at Fogo de Chao, which is Fogo de Chao is one of these all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouses. It is awesome. Meat on a stick, flip the card on green, and they will keep cycling around. I've actually turned down bacon-wrapped filet there because I wanted something different. Now, would any man ever turn down bacon-wrapped filet? You can do that at Fogo de Chao and not feel guilty about it. If I did, I mean, normally if I ever did something that uh, uh, controversial, David, I would feel really, really bad. So, as we eagerly await another Democrat jumping into the presidential race, we look and see what some of the other ones have been doing. Jeb and the Trumpster have been going at it again, with Trump now saying that uh, George W., his brother, Jeb's brother, did not keep us safe because 9-11 happened on his watch. So we've got an interesting little battle going on there. I'm surprised that, you know, Trump being, you know, New York-based would continue to try and dwell on that because he's really getting into these fringe elements where you start dealing with the truthers somewhat that think that the U.S. government was somehow complicit in the events of September 11th, 2001. I certainly don't think they were. If they were, then you know, might as well give up now. If we have a government that's that much against the people, then we might you as well know, give up now, right? You know, um, somebody, and I, I, I don't know who it was offhand, but this was about three, four, five, six weeks ago when uh, Trump first got in. Or, or he had been in for just a short period of time, but it was obvious that the media was sticking to him like glue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he has yet to spend any money to speak of. They they continue to follow him like he's a, he's a pride and a, the pauper or whatever. And, <laughs> the prince know, and the pauper, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm going to go back to what somebody said then. It's an interesting scenario. You've got one guy that's uh, really sort of leading the media by the nose or by the tail or by something. Right. Um, he comes up with these cockamamie things, and all of a sudden, uh, every camera's on him, and now we got a fight between Jeb and Trump, and <laughs> the Republicans are... But, you know, this hearing on Thursday is very serious, and what we came or what we came out, what came out today is even more serious, and you wonder exactly which ass everybody's head in D.C. is up with the thing coming up about the hacker breaking into uh, Brenner's, the CIA yeah. director. Yeah, this little but thing. what did they find? Uh, information on George W. and Tony Blair's friendship, is that right? No. Oh, well, that's, that, that's a different that, one. Okay. That's different. Okay, what did they find? I, I, you know, uh, I must not have read the that whole CIA article. Director, the CIA director uh, has his own server. I mean, is that just... Now, Homestead, Homeland Security 
Their director, guess what he has? His own server. You win. Now, you know, Obama laid the groundwork the other day by saying, well, Hillary might have made a misjudgment, but she didn't do anything wrong. Now, you know, she gave away one of the CIA secret agents' names on her server. They found this out. Mm-hmm. That's that's good for 10 to 20 years. That's espionage, it sounds like, right? Now, what what... You know, the CIA director is a Muslim. He converted when he was in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. Do you know that? Sounds like a mole. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. Brennan, right? Yeah, Yeah. Brennan. So... Don't step on his prayer mat. (laughs) So, you know, what do we got here? We got a lot of people that seem to think they're above the law. We got Petraeus that was basically crucified... For taking his book home, showing it to his mistress, who had secret <laughs> clearance anyway, yep. and it was under guard the whole time in his house because he's a guarded individual. Right. So it wasn't like he was out waving or throwing out sheets from his black book, exactly. And yet here is Hillary giving away names of our spies, among other things. You don't know what the CIA director might have given away. And if a kid could hack into it, how secure was it? And then you got the starburst over here drawing your attention from stuff like this to the fact that uh, Trump and Bush are having a fight, having lovers spat. Right. Am I smelling something that stinks? Oh, I smell a rat for sure. But the I guess the problem is is do we have the the Roman crowd basically, the mob that just wants to be entertained. That do- doesn't really care that Caesar is stealing everything. Doesn't really care that that Bernie Sanders is f- everything's free stuff is 18 trillion dollars. They want to see entertainment. And if you can't fit it into 140 characters or less, David, Sorry, if I can't take an Instagram selfie and make duck face, sorry, I'm not interested. Is that that a problem? I mean, the keeping up with the the Kardashians, the the Lamar Odom, who who almost killed himself, has basically taken uh, um, so much media coverage. I saw somebody complain the other day that he had a whole six-minute... Uh, spread dedicated him on CNN or MSNBC, something like that. But uh, you look at it; these these news organizations do they do they break the news, or do they make the news? I think they make it. So and they, I think they, we we are seeing that more and more that they're no, they're not bringing us the news. They're they're giving us their opinion on what might or might you know. All these guys, if I'd heard one more guy say how wonderful a person Odom was, I didn't hear one person say, yeah, that's a stupid son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> to get all messed up like that and almost commit to, you know, kill himself, that's pretty damn stupid. But Why? he's got a great personality. Yeah, yeah, all the girls love He's him. a swell guy. Um, well, I... I thought it was interesting that um, you know he spent seventy five thousand dollars to hang around uh, women of ill repute, and that wasn't actually the Kardashians; it was I, new women yeah. of ill repute. I, I think somehow, <laughs> somehow, to spend that kind of money in three days, he has to work for the government. 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I will say pro basketball players, their agents are very good at signing their guys to big contracts. I mean, at 35 years old, Odom, hell, he could probably still play with the Timberwolves if he recovers. But the fact that he's getting six minutes, the fact that Trump and Bush in their little tweet battle on Twitter is top news versus... Now, I did see um, the headline, I think it was on CNN this morning, it said, um, Stoner Kid Hacks CIA. So they, yeah. they, so basically some little pothead was able to hack into the Central Intelligence Agency. And these are the folks that claim that your medical data is safe on the Unaffordable Care Act. Again, I, I keep going back to why does government think that they are somehow better and smarter than you are. Well, maybe yeah. the, maybe government is smarter than 50% of the population. Maybe that's our problem. You know, what was government doing today? Well, your president was entertaining the little Muslim shit that brought the oh, clock yes. bomb clock to school. Boy. I, I was clock about to say boy. I was about to say one frauds of a feather flock yeah. together, right? I guess uh, Ahmed who uh, by the way before Ahmed went to the White House, he went to the Sudan. It's not Sudan, it's the Sudan. And hung out with the uh, the dictator over there. I don't even know the guy's name, but apparently he's a mass murderer, beheads people. Not a real nice person. But since Clockboy's dad wants to be president of the Sudan sometime, they decided to go over there and take advantage of all the uh, the notoriety and the fact that Clockboy, Mr. Take It Part of 1978 Clock Radio, stick it in a pencil box and say, Look, Professor... Look what I made! And the professor says, Hey, clock boy, that's not even the assignment, you idiot. But uh, anyway, those are the type of people that get rewarded by the Obama I, I think I saw... I think he's the new science czar, actually. Congratulations, clock boy. You're the science czar now. Well, I, 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 I'm not positive, but I think I saw some of your tax dollars paying for him to fly to the Sudan. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sure part of my tax dollars go to pay for a lot of things, including the apology tour. His parents seem to not want any of the details of the arrest coming out, but they are happy to take advantage of all the, the all apologies tour. That we're sorry that uh, some teachers took that zero tolerance policy seriously. And decided, I did, should he have been arrested? No. In fact, that was probably the worst thing that could happen. They should have just suspended him and sent him home. Then he wouldn't have gotten all this notoriety. So they, the clock boy and daddy mission accomplished. I think we got to take our first break here, David. But, You're uh, right. We'll oh be back gosh. with uh, House oh, Rep Trey second. Kelly. And uh, after that, Joe Ash Thomas. You're listening to Greg's List. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. 
Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. Joining us now for the first time as a, uh, a guest on the show, Representative Trey Kelly from Cedartown, or uh, what we also call uh, Eastern Alabama in some circles. Trey Kelly, welcome to Greg's List. How are you? Hey, Greg. It's great to be with you. You know, you know Greg, other people would call Cedartown the home of, home of Nick Chubb. Uh, we would much rather be be um, recognized for our ties to the Bulldog community than our proximity to Alabama. <laughs> well played, sir. I uh, I actually did, I'm sure you saw the uh, ESPN special on Chubb Town, which I guess is part of your district, but uh, I guess his family had moved here, uh, Nick Chubb, the running back for the Georgia Bulldogs, moved here many years ago. Uh, actually, during I can't, I think they were freed slaves or or, or uh, something, and I uh, they moved to Chubtown, and that area is still actually part of uh, Polk County, right? Absolutely, it sure is big part of our community. You were, I bet you did a lot of door to door there when you were running. We we knocked on a lot of doors all over the 16 districts. So that <laughs> certainly was covered. <laughs> Well, Trey, is uh, I guess you're going into, is this your third year as a uh, House rep uh, coming up on 2016? Yeah, 2016 will actually uh, actually be uh, actually my fourth session. I, we just finished up uh, finished up my third, uh, so, so 16 will be my fourth. You know, sometimes they all run run together. Uh, gotcha. But 2016 will be my, my fourth my fourth full session. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're right in the midpoint of the, of the second term. I've been lucky enough to serve. Gotcha. And I was about to say, you're now th- three years in going into year four. So you're, you're not a rookie anymore. You kind of know what's going on around the house. What, um, or, and, and around the state, some of the, the salient issues, it looks like you're on a bunch of different committees here, including, uh, banking and judiciary and higher education. So you're, you're, you must be pretty busy, uh, during session. I am. Uh, I, you know, I'm fortunate to get to serve on some great committees. You, you talked about banking. You talked about judiciary. Uh, you know, higher education is something that, that's important to me. Um, serve on the health, uh, health and human service community or uh, committee. We know we know how important it is to have conservatives driving that healthcare discussion in our country. Uh, and also, uh, one of my favorites is our Ways and Means Committee. Um, you know, we. I'm a, I'm a big. Um, have a lot of interest in tax policy, and so getting to getting to do that while we're in session is something I'm real proud of. To continue to improve our state's tax policy, uh, to put forth measures that that work for for the everyday Georgian. Yeah, I was about and to say to the yeah the, to make our state a, a better place to do business. One of the big uh, issues that we're looking at this year is there's a definite push by Rep. Uh, John Carson out of. Uh, Marietta Cobb County to um, start ratcheting down the the state income tax and and looking at a, a sales tax like many of our neighboring states have adopted. Um, so, what do you think the pros and cons of, of that approach may be, or how much have you looked into that? I think that's going to be a really big issue coming up this next session. Yeah, uh, tax reform is definitely going to be going to be a, 
something we have a big conversation about next session. We're already having it. You know, Representative Carson, someone who I serve on the Ways and Means Committee with, we, we shared an office together my, my first uh, couple of years, and, and I consider him a friend. He's doing he's doing good work here. Um, like so many of us, we you know he uh, wants to wants to see see tax reform. Uh, so do I. I, I think. Uh, there are some measures that, that we can take to, to improve on what is already a great climate, uh, you know, in terms of tax tax climate in our state. And you alluded, you know, we, we got we're sandwiched in between Tennessee and Florida, and uh, they they don't have an income tax. And I, I think we should we should have a strong conversation, and I would love to see our income tax reduced. Um, you know, in in Florida and Tennessee, they they traded that out. You know, there there's trade offs. They have you know higher uh, sales tax and they they capitalize on some of the, the tourism that both those states enjoy and so it's it's something that we're going to have the conversation it's one that we need to we need to have very uh, a very responsible conversation about we're we're in a good place in our mm-hmm. state I mean we're the number one state in the nation to do business we've got a pretty good mix I'm always someone who thinks we can find ways to continue to improve um, but uh, tax reform is certainly going to be an issue. I think uh, Representative Carson's got some got some great ideas in his in his proposal. Uh, I think his goal is certainly worthy, and I look forward to having that conversation this uh, from from now and uh, on out into the next session. Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things where I think if we can show that uh, going to a, a fair tax system instead of the income tax system, if it generates the same amount of revenue but we're able to spread it out, take advantage of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, millions uh, fly into Hartsfield Airport and um, the fact that our tourism isn't exactly second fiddle anymore if you consider the uh, the mountains. Atlanta has a lot of attractions now and obviously we have a, a pretty robust coastline and, and a little city called savannah I, I guess maybe you've heard of that but uh so we we certainly have our own share of tourism one of the other issues that i've been looking at and reading a lot about is uh mgm and some of these big casinos are starting to kind of come in and say hey uh wouldn't underground look a lot better as a casino and i personally think it would be an awesome casino with uh, lots of great jobs but it's coming up against a lot of uh it, it, that one's going to be a really long battle uh it may be a way to somehow save the Hope Scholarship, but uh, have you been in on any of those meetings, or what uh, What kind of temperature is uh, that generating? I know the governor has kind of come out and said it w- it won't be on the ballot, um, so that's kind of a, a veto. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, Governor Dill's taking a very measured approach. I, I think it's something that, that he's kind of said, right now, if the current proposal doesn't make sense to him, I think there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered in terms of of the economic impact that uh, this could have on our state, uh, both positively and negatively. You know, we, we're right now we're seeing some competing numbers from from from, from proponents and opponents, mm-hmm. and so that's our job as legislators is to sort that out and see see if it if it overall is something that's going to be good for our state. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I don't know if there's I don't know if you can make underground Atlanta too much worse than it is uh, <laughs> right now, but but we don't want to damage. What a, you know, a, a great uh, city outside of that in Atlanta that um, that is growing yeah. and thriving, and 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 so I think you know the governor's point that you know we don't we don't need to be you know like 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 North Carolina or like some of these other states that have brought it in that, that we're Georgia and we have things that stand on our own. I think there's some merit to that, and um, 
before you you ring this bell that can never be un unrung, <laughs> I think you you gotta have you gotta take your time. Mm-hmm. You gotta really weigh the pros and cons. That's that's what I think the citizens of Georgia expect us to do yep. as, as legislators is to yeah. not jump not just jump into this uh, on the on the first thing, but to really weigh the options, to really look at you know if we you know as a policy decision are we going to do it? If so, how are we going to do it? Um, and, 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 and what are the reasons for doing it? You know, we talk about saving the Hope Scholarship. You know, something I want to see, uh, I think, you know, an area I think we would do good to, uh, on saving the Hope Scholarship would be curbing uh, tuition increases. That's something I think we can do without casinos to save, to save the Hope Scholarship. Right. And for us to do a better job in our higher education system. To, to keep tuition costs down, not only tuition but the fees that come across, come along with it. That's something that, that I've tried to work on as uh, having a leadership position on our higher education committee. So, you know, uh, Hope's a, a model program for our nation. We're proud of it here. Um, I went to a, uh, you know, I, I benefited from it while I was in college and, um, and as did, you know, hundreds of thousands of other Georgians and I, I'm, I'm proud of it. And we do want to make sure that it has a, a bright future here in Georgia. Uh, and it's just saying what's the right mix to ensure that. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, the Hope Scholarship as well. It's uh, not exactly Mr. Bernie Sanders' idea of everything is free. We actually try to pay for it. Uh, but there do certainly need to be some cost controls for some of these out-of-control universities, uh, including UGA and Georgia Tech and Georgia Southern and Kennesaw State, that have seen just soaring costs of education because, uh, you know, the, the government is, is the one paying for it. So we do need to get some responsibility in there. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, as uh, some of my listeners know, I was a big Scott Walker fan and his campaign imploded. Actually, a funny story. Two days ago, I got two letters in the mail, one to Greg Williams, the other to Gregory Williams, and they were both letters from the Scott Walker campaign. And that was kind of a microcosm. It was thanking me for my support and blah, blah, blah. But that's a little bit of a microcosm of uh, his campaign failure is that they wasted postage on two letters to me after the fact. So they didn't realize that, hey, Greg Williams and Gregory Williams at the same address might be the same person. So uh, <laughs> anyway, Trey, so I, d- I thought that was interesting. You're uh, on Team Marco Rubio. Let's chat about Marco for a little while. I've had uh, Carly's team on here, and uh, I'm interested in uh, the Senate from Florida. The wife is on board with him. So uh, I know you've been um, kind of a, a leader as far as some of the legislative uh, delegation and wanted to hear your thoughts on him. Well, you know, Greg, I'm going to say, you know, your, your wife has great taste here. <laughs> uh, Marco Rubio, I think, uh, has experience, the, the experience we need uh, for today, but he also has a vision for a uh, prosperous tomorrow for America. You know, he has, he has a background in, in state State politics and, and understanding how important the role of state government is uh, under our under our system of government here as former Speaker of the House of Florida, uh, but he also has has experience that I think is crucial. Uh, when we're not only selecting our president, but we're selecting a commander in chief. And uh, when it's when it's two thirty in the morning and they're in the Situation Room, I want someone who has a grasp on foreign policy. And I think that Marco Rubio, Senator Rubio, has shown that. His foreign policy experience in this race is unparalleled. Um, he has, he, you know, he predicted what would happen in, in Syria and the response that uh, from Russia. And I think that that's just one uh, anecdote about 
uh, about his understanding of, of complex foreign policy issues. And, and for me, um, my president must have a grasp on domestic issues. And I feel Senator Rubio does, especially from his time speaking of the House of Florida. But I want to know that we got a capable commander-in-chief who's going to protect our country and uh, and and uh, protect our, our men and women who are serving in our military. And that those are just a couple reasons mm-hmm. why I, I, I came on board with him. Um, yeah, he's certainly doing... He's, 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 he, he's best fit to be our next president. Well, he's doing very well head-to-head against uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm interested to see what happens when Biden jumps in. Biden is actually doing the best on the Democrat side, head-to-head against Republicans. So uh, the more carnage we can have on the Democrat side, I think that's overall good for the Republican Party. And uh, like I said, Trey, I'm kind of I'm working on a deal up in Johns Creek right now, but once November 3rd happens, I'll be kind of looking and, and seeing who's out there and I appreciate you you're talking about Marco Rubio and his campaign. Yeah, and also, look, I think that this is you know this shows how well, all the great things that's going on in our party right now. When you see the debate stage, when you see the diversity that's lined up uh, on on our on our stage, uh, you, you see you see we have a, a just a depth of talent uh, in the Republican Party. Uh, like I said again, I, I'm not you know hiding it. I think I think the best one that's fit to lead our country. Is Marco Rubio, but but we got a great group of candidates, and, and the Democrats are sitting over there with a with a radical left wing socialist, and then they also got Bernie Sanders. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how far left uh, yeah. has the Democratic Party and then, gone? And then, and then where um, you have yeah. a openly admitted socialist um, in, in Bernie Sanders, winning polling high in some of these crucial winning in New, um, winning in New Hampshire and and uh, Iowa. Well, Trey Kelly, I appreciate it, man. I uh, wish I had a few more minutes for you. we got a lot more to cover, but I'll have you call in again. I know you're busy with your, uh, hey, your regular job as well. Absolutely, Greg. Last question I got for you. How, how did jury duty go for Kathy today? Unfort- everything she, she expected well, to be? Unfortunately, she was not dismissed early, so the Romney uh, the Romney hat didn't work. The, uh, the the T-shirt with Reagan Bush didn't work, so she I think she's on a jury. <laughs> well, so, I, I know that's going to be quite an experience yep. for her, and... Uh, and, Greg, I appreciate you giving nope. me the opportunity to be on. I look forward to being with you again. Soon. All right, Trey Kelly, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be back in a couple minutes with Joe Ash Thomas. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. Just finished up with uh, State Rep. Trey Kelly from Chubbtown, or Cedartown, Georgia. Gave us a little preview and insight onto uh, the 2016 legislative session, which it is an election year, but I, I don't expect the legislators to try to take the easy path out. Uh, there are some serious issues that, uh, that Georgia needs to face, and I expect our Republican legislature to take the them seriously. There probably will be a few softballs that go on to give them cover for some of the tough votes, as they call it. I call them tax increases, but others call them tough votes that they've had the uh, past couple of years. Uh, but uh, kind of changing uh, gears here, uh, our friend Joe Ash Thomas, he's called in a couple times before. He's been stationed in South Asia, been on the other side of the world, and uh, been working to fight what they call bonded labor, which to me is kind of a fancy word for slavery, but actually I'm on an anti-slavery page right now, and it appears that there's a bunch of different types of bonded labor. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Joe Ash back to Greg's List. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Greg. Great to be back here. Yeah, I um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about bonded. When you sent me the uh, the description and bonded labor, I just said that's fancy for slavery, but it actually looks like it is nuanced somewhat. So tell tell us a little bit about bonded labor, because according to uh, the anti slavery site that I'm on, anti slavery dot org, it's a fancy name. It, it is the most widespread yet least known form of slavery. So uh, I, I I'm eager to learn about this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, bonded labor is essentially a very prominent form of modern-day slavery. Um, it is a situation where you have a, a laborer, essentially, who's promised a dream, who's promised a job somewhere, who's then transported there or trafficked there a lot of times involuntarily, promised in advance in a lot of cases. And once they go to this new location, they find themselves without proper food, they find themselves not even getting any pay in those situations. Um, so it's just a really bad situation where people who are illiterate, people who are deprived of opportunity in their existing circumstances are offered something, are offered the world, and uh, then they're denied of the same. And, uh, you know, when they try to escape on top of that, when they try to seek freedom or when they try to move into another job they're often restrained physically and uh they're you know brutally beaten up and i mean i've heard of cases where their wives were raped their daughters were raped their you know their kids were a brutally 
mutilated as well, and uh, you know, and it, it, it just leads to a whole chain of other problems mm-hmm. that should never occur in the society in the first place. Now, who's who are the primary victims of this? Obviously, we don't have this in the United States. Do we have it in South America? Do we have it? Uh, I, I've seen you know a lot of the movies that uh, show the uh, you know the oil and a lot of documentaries. Sorry, movie means fiction, but documentaries that show kind of the. Uh, the the oil fields and it looks like the um, Saudi Arabia and some of these big oil companies have historically imported laborers from Bangladesh and India and, and maybe Pakistan is is that kind of the bonded labor or where does it uh, where does it manifest? Yeah, definitely. So bonded labor is prevalent throughout the world. For I mean, it's, it's definitely prevalent throughout the world. In fact, uh, Brandon Stanton is. Uh, the humans of the humans of New York recently covered bonded labor in Pakistan a lot, and I believe he raised more than a million dollars to do something about it in Pakistan. Uh, so that's Pakistan's part, part of the South Asia region. Okay. Uh, the reason that uh, I, so I work in the South Asia region. I'm not exactly based in Pakistan, but I'm based uh, around that. And uh, but I mean, it's, it's a known fact that bonded labor is very prevalent uh, in South Asia, especially in countries like uh, the, you just mentioned Bangladesh. That's a good example. A lot of the labor often comes from countries like Nepal or Bangladesh, where uh, there's a you know there's a physical calamity. There's a there's an earthquake or there's a huge flood, and mm-hmm. people don't have jobs there, so they're promised jobs elsewhere. They're trafficked elsewhere uh, to a country like India, maybe or Pakistan. And uh, once they're there, um, you know, they're, they're just not allowed to leave. They're not given enough pay. They're not, uh, they're not taken care of. They're not fed well. In fact, we, uh, the organization that I work with, International Justice Mission, uh, we, one of our, one of our clients um, actually, you know, actually had a situation where he tried to leave. And uh, the owner of the brick factory that he worked in had his hands chopped off. So it's it, it leads to a lot of um, so other it, it, it sounds it sounds, and, it sounds barbaric. Of, uh, really, to ask you a question about who's vulnerable to this, it, yeah. would, it would definitely be the poor, uh, the poor who are deprived of protections under a public justice system that's functioning, and uh, you know that's something we're hoping to address and uh, fix as we go about addressing the larger issues. Yeah, well, it, it sounds barbaric. I mean, this is stuff that uh, you know you, you you look at in in kind of the the BC era where you're chopping off limbs, or in uh, sub-Saharan Africa where they have a, a revolution every other week and they do that to the alternative uh, alternate clans or tribes, but not uh, you know most people wouldn't think of um, you know some of these areas is 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 delving into that barbarism, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's shocking to hear that. So, do do we have this problem in South America? Is Brazil, uh, big country, lots of poor people? I, I we, we don't hear much about it. So, where is it primarily South Asia, or is it uh, spread to other parts of the world? I would say I'd say it's primarily South Asia. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I believe the United Nations came up with figures recently that said that uh, majority of the world bonded labor problem exists in South Asia primarily okay. um, and in India in specific. So it's, it's a problem that's largely concentrated in South Asia and it's a problem that's resulted uh, out, of, out of issues like the caste system mm-hmm. where people are already 
discriminated against within society by their government in a lot of situations. Um, you know, even if that's not even if that's not legal. Oh yeah, I thought I thought I, I thought the caste system was gone. <laughs> yes, so legally it's abolished. Yeah, but yeah. in practice it still exists for right. large proportions, mm-hmm. especially in uh, rural India, um, rural South Asia. You know, it it, it doesn't. You, you won't see it as much in the cities, although it, you can feel the undertones of it. But when you go out to the villages, it's still very prevalent. And mm-hmm. when you have a system wherein people generally look at each other and judge each other, you know, not based on their merits, but not, you know, just simply based off of what family they're born in mm-hmm. or what circumstances they're born in, that just deprives opportunity even more. So, so has this given you a little bit of a perception on uh, when everybody in the U.S. complains about how racist we are and that nowhere else in the world is? I think you can probably say that categorically that that is not true. That, uh, that I mean, we, we may have some racism here, but we're ser- ser- con- uh, certainly not the only country that has uh, racial division and discrimination based on a last name or a color of skin rather than uh, content of character, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's a problem that, you know, I mean, every every country, every society has its own issues, you know, and it's, it's not, it's not about dwelling in the past, but it's about learning from the past and moving towards a better future, you know, moving towards a more perfect union as such, in our case, in the United States. Right. Uh, but it's definitely, it's definitely opened my eyes. Uh, it's definitely shown me the power of just engaging in large with the media, with the government, and uh, just mobilizing people to do good by engaging with stakeholders that can actually do something about it. Uh, so it could, the same could be applied for, you know, any issue or any major cost, whether we're looking at uh, the pro-life situation in the United States. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just opened my eyes to, um, you know, see things from a different perspective and say, well, if I'm really being pro-life and if I really want to see change done here in the United States, um, I'll have to move further than just the Republican base that we often message to. You know, we need a message to liberals and Democrats and independents and uh, same, you know, the same goes for people in power. Uh, we, need a mes- we, we need a message to um, members of the Black Caucus in Congress that's largely Democratic. You know, we need to appeal to their sense of humanity and their sense of ethics uh, and just appeal to their, the areas that we can find common ground in and then, you know, work towards building towards a better future from there. So it's definitely opened my eyes a lot and, uh, you know, just showing me the power of working with people who don't often think like you, but still building champions out of them and working towards a better good. Yeah, I mean, that uh, whole area, Southeast Asia, is uh, kind of the... Vietnam, Thailand, uh, Laos, Cambodia, whatever it's called these days. But, uh, you know, those countries change names a lot as well, and they are uh, unfortunately infamous for the child sex trade. So is there any kind of cross-pollination with the child sex trade and the the bonded labor? You know what, we may hold the thought, Josh, we or Joe Ash, we're going to... Um, David, you want to take our final break here and pick up uh, with that? Yeah, because that might be a long answer. So, uh, Joe, Ash, if you can hold on for a minute or two, we're going to take our final break and pick back up with some of the uh, similarities.
similarities maybe between child sex trade and, and the bonded labor and uh, what life is like in South Asia. I can imagine it is far different. We'll be back in a minute on Greg's List. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to America's Webradio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. Wrapping up with uh, Joe Ash Thomas, who's been on location in South Asia working to fight the bonded labor. And uh, before the break, I had mentioned uh, Southeast Asia, which a lot of people know is Thailand and Vietnam and Laos, Cambodia, whatever they are, they're called this week. Uh, they're known for, um, I guess, child sex trade. And bonded labor is actually uh, a different form of uh, of slavery and uh, repression. But Joe, uh, Joe, do you see any kind of cross pollination between the uh, the two uh, malignant industries, or are they they pretty separate? Yeah, it's actually very interesting that you bring that up because the organization that I work with, uh, we deal with you know we deal with both types of casework in South Asia as well. Uh, you know, you have bonded labor on one hand, uh, where you have, you know, men, women, and children being trafficked, and then then you have, uh, then you have sex trafficking on the other hand, where where it's largely women and children okay. and minors who are uh, trafficked into, uh, you know, sexual prostitution. Uh, so there are a lot of similarities, uh, you know, just as much as there are differences concerned. So as far as the similarities go, you you have people who are promised something, uh, you know, they're taken to another place, and then after that, they're just completely, completely, uh, completely, you know, they, their freedoms are taken away. They don't have much mobility. They don't have any freedoms at all. 
And, uh, you know, so it's definitely a lot of similarities that way. Okay. Um, you know, obviously the only difference, uh, one of the main differences, rather, would be bonded labor you have. Um, you know, it's not just sex work that they're being forced into. It's, uh, it, it probably does involve sexual exploitation to some end if they try to disobey their masters. But you also have, you know, it, it exists across a wide array of industries. Everything from uh, brick kilns to rice mills to, you know, uh, catfish farms where, you know, we, we, we recently conducted a rescue in uh, a, cat, a catfish farm in uh, South India where, you know, we rescued members of the tribal community who, were, who had to basically feed, you know, chicken guts and rat guts, rat, rat instant to, um, to, you know, catfish. Oh, and uh, so, so there definitely varies that way. But at the same time, when it comes to messaging and communication with the media, with you know, with the government, sex trafficking in general is, uh, you know, it, it's a lot more of a sexier issue as such. It's just a whole lot easier to communicate because people automatically understand it. Bonded labor, on the other hand, isn't that visible. It's very, very underground to a large extent, very invisible. In fact, recent studies show that maybe around 90% of bricks used in India or in South Asia in general are actually blood bricks, around 90% of them. So look at any building, you know, you'll definitely see some blood bricks on there, blood bricks basically being uh, you know, brick from yeah. brick like a blood, like blood diamond, blood diamond, which many of the listeners are. Yeah, absolutely. Like just like, <laughs> just like blood diamond. Yeah, uh, well, very, very similar. You know, this is just a, a, an eye-opening interview. Again, I had not uh, heard of this. I guess a, a long time ago in the United States, uh, indentured servitude might have been something similar but that was a voluntary um transaction that was i guess in the uh, colonial times maybe pre-colonial where um you you, you kind of signed up for it before but you knew you were going to be working hard so this is kind of indentured servitude but uh uh more involuntarily um in a contract i guess is that is that a fair assessment yeah yeah and actually it's uh, interesting that you bring up indentured servitude because uh, we do refer to bonded labor as a, as a, as a form of indentured servitude in the 21st century as well. Okay. Um, so, so it's, it, you know, it's, and then again, you, that's the similar pushback that we often get uh, when people tell us, well, you know, but they did sign up to go on this, you know, this job run. Uh, they might have gotten fooled in the process, but it, it was sort of semi-voluntary. Um, but it stops being voluntary when um, you know, when your freedoms are taken away and when you don't have the freedom to quit your job, when you don't have the freedom to go and seek another job, mm-hmm. uh, when your hands get chopped off uh, if, you, if you try to do something else. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so, so it's definitely a good mix of both, I'd say. Um, but the background is still the same. Uh, the, the victim at the end of the day is a poor person who doesn't have any freedom, who doesn't have any opportunity in their existing circumstance. And, go somewhere else to a foreign part of the world that, you know, or at least a part of the world that's foreign to them, 
and uh, you know ends up getting tricked into something that never signed up. So what what do we how do we uh, solve this? Is is there just too many people in South Asia? Uh, Bangladesh is overcrowded. Uh, Pakistan is actually not as densely populated. Uh, India has more than a billion people. Uh, is it just too many people? Not enough jobs? Is is that kind of the the problem? Yeah, so uh, a large part of that definitely, you know, boils down to um, agriculture and, uh, you know, just the, faili- the failure of farms and, and farming in a large part of South Asia. So when you don't have, you know, when you don't have agricultural jobs available, uh, people are forced to migrate and they're forced to look for something else. Um, so in some ways it's, it's pretty similar in some ways to the uh, Middle Eastern migration crisis, okay. uh, except in the Middle East you have the religious element of it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with bonded labor, it's not so much that. It's more it's more economic opportunity or the lack thereof. So, 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 so yeah, there, there's definitely, you know, that similarity there, but a difference at the same time. All right. Well, it's uh, it seems that... Um in fact, I had uh, a guest on a, a couple months ago. The the micro loan program, where big banks, uh, the, the IMF has been part of this in the past, where they give out thousand dollar loans so some of these folks can start businesses. Uh, is that an avenue maybe to help out this situation? Because again, and this is going to be a problem in China too, folks. Uh, people talk about India and China, the BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, and China as being these growing economies. But when you're basically building it on the backs of slave labor, which China certainly is, uh, India is, Vietnam to a lesser extent. Brazil is just a, a typical Latin American country with um, with hardworking people and uh, corrupt government, but plenty of natural resources. You know what? What? How do we? How do we solve this? Is it uh, getting better people in government? Is it? Uh, I, I, I'm sure the tax system. India is. Um, you know, from my research on it, is pretty. Uh, it has a very small middle class and a large uh, impoverished class, and Bangladesh is even even poorer than uh, India. So, what I mean, what's what are some solutions for this in South Asia? Yeah, that's that's a great question. That's and that's 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 an answer that's still being worked on by civil okay. society organizations across South Asia. But I can tell you for a fact that you know you need to address this and you need to tackle this from different perspectives and from very different lenses. So definitely working with the government, definitely working with the media, definitely working with society at large to generate awareness about the issue. But also maybe solutions like the economic solutions you talked about, uh, the microfinancing aspect of it, or, you know, um, or maybe pushing for, um, you know, pushing for actual implementation of, you know, the government's promises to the poor in a lot of situations. Yeah. But whatever the solution is, uh, you know, whatever the solution will be, one thing that there's a large consensus on is that it has to be a system-level solution. Okay. Um, I mean, something that civil society organizations have realized very early on is that you can keep doing casework, you can keep having rescue operations, you can keep bringing people out of slavery, servitude, but end of the day, if the public justice system is still broken, you know, it's... I mean, if, if their public justice system is not able to give justice to the poor, is not able to take care of its own, then you know, there's really no point in uh, making big big plans because 
you know, you're just going to keep rescuing the same people. And and as a matter of fact, um, a lot of people that are rescued from bonded labor end up in bonded labor in some form or the other. I was about to a say, it's almost them. like recidivism in, uh, in a prison, but in a non-voluntary way, but it's like, okay, you rescue them, but then they're back in the same predicament because there's no economic uh, opportunity, there's no hope, there's no food, there's no jobs. I mean, it's uh, it, it, it's a huge problem. I'm seeing, um, you know, opportunity for the United States and uh, especially some of the countries in Europe that are suffering from such high unemployment to, to look at, at, at building some infrastructure projects and at least getting some semblance of uh, modern civilization because um, I didn't we didn't get a whole lot of chance to talk about your actual day-to-day experiences but uh, it sounds like it's it's probably even worse in some of these rural areas and i'm than i'm even thinking of i mentioned slumdog millionaire i know uh it's every indian american's favorite uh <laughs> movie but um I, I i'm guessing in the rural parts that 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 may not be that off of, of or inaccurate of a depiction of some of the stuff you've seen yeah well there's there's a, i mean they call south asia a subcontinent full full of ironies. I mean, you've got the world's richest people living right next door to the world's biggest slum in Asia. <laughs> like it's it's really you know the juxtaposition there is really yeah. very evident. Um, but at the same time, you know it's 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 definitely an issue that <clears throat> needs to be worked on right. uh, from a larger level, from uh, you know a bigger perspective. Well, you know, I hope I hope I can get you back on to talk more about that. This thirty minutes went by a little bit uh, too quick. We didn't even get to talk about some of the the daily life. But uh, Joe Ash, <laughs> thank you for your. I mean, it's you, know, you almost want to thank somebody for their service when they're when they're doing this. Uh, I know you're headed back there uh, eventually, uh, probably within the next month or so. So be careful. Don't get kidnapped yourself. And uh, <laughs> well, you, thanks a lot, Greg. We, I really appreciate you. Having yeah. Me well, over. thank you for calling in. That was Joe Ash Thomas, who has been working uh, in. The um, uh, bonded labor, um, a, a, a cause that uh, you know, I think I'm going to do some research on and see if there's some ways that we can help uh, in this modern day indentured servitude. It's a big problem. It's not going to be solved overnight. Thank you all for listening to Greg's List. We'll be back next week. See you then. You're listening to America's WebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, You can rest assured, knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases, 
involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best.